0: Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. I'm recording here Monday, the 8th of May, 2023, the 17th of VR, 5783. Hope you are well, hope you are safe in your part of the world. Most likely, you are receiving this broadcast on Tuesday, May the 9th, just for technical reasons. So, um, hopefully the news, which I will share with you today, is as up-to-date as possible. Not looking for any breaking news, uh, God forbid, here in Israel, especially not negative news. If there's anything positive and I don't get to it as a result of just the gap between when I'm recording and when you're listening, then that is okay. It is actually uh, Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer, a holiday. I'm going to discuss it at the end of the broadcast. By the time you're listening to it, hopefully you'll be fully immersed For those who celebrate in Lagba Omer festivities, we're going to get to that later on. But first, as we do each and every week, the latest news from Israel. JNS reports that Israeli National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir this past Friday slammed the decision to return the bodies of three terrorists to the Palestinian Authority, and he vowed to continue boycotting Knesset votes until the governing coalition assumes a more hardline approach. On Thursday, Israeli forces, combination of the IDF and other security forces, eliminated the terrorists who last month murdered three members of the D family, if you recall, in the Jordan Valley, Lucy D, forty eight years old, and her two daughters, Maya and Rina, twenty and fifteen, were murdered. ...in the April 7th shooting on Route 57 near the Hamra Junction. The terrorists were identified as members of Hamas, the Hamas terror organization... ...and the brave security forces, IDF and other security forces... ...went into the town of Shem, the old city in Shem, ...according to reports, dressed as Arabs or in disguise raided the location where the terrorists were hiding out, killed the two who were responsible for the murder, and killed the third terrorist who was aiding and abetting, who was hiding the two terrorists from our security forces. So Israel, for some reason, decided to return the bodies of the terrorists, or rather perhaps left them there. And their families retrieved them, and then they have these big funerals and celebrate martyrdom and jihad, and these are occasions where other terrorists show up and shoot into the air and vow revenge and are riled up. That's what these funerals are all, are all about, and that's why Minister Ben-Gvir is upset about it. ben described Defense Minister Yoav Gallant's decision to return the three bodies as, quote, a grave mistake that will only cost us dearly. And he called for a change in approach. Gallant, according to media reports, defended his decision, said it was no big deal to return the bodies. The Likud party issued a statement saying that the prime minister, defense minister, the IDF security forces, they're the ones who are going to manage the security situation facing uh, which Israel faces. And it's the prime minister and not Minister Ben Gvir, who is calling the shots to make a long story short. And if he doesn't like it, the statement said, he doesn't have to remain in the government. A senior source close to Netanyahu shortly thereafter told Israeli media, the premier is willing to explore, and this is major news, bringing into the coalition National Unity Party head Benny Gantz. So, number one, I agree with Ben Gvir here. Israel should not return the bodies of terrorists. They don't deserve a funeral where these thousands of armed men Terrorists show up and incite for more violence. I don't believe we, we I don't believe we owe them anything. I don't believe we owe their families anything anything. These are mass murderers. And I think that not returning the bodies is a possible deterrent, which I'm in favor of. All that being said, I would bet that Minister Ben is bluffing here. I don't think he's leaving the government. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he's going to leave the government. However, I would not be surprised if Prime Minister Netanyahu fires Ben Gvir over this or any of the other issues going on, and that he truly wants to bring National Union Party head Benny Gans into the government. I think this relieves Netanyahu of the Ben Gvir headache, and he can put the blame on Ben Gvir for his behavior and for opposing Netanyahu's policies. And he could say, the prime minister could say, I had no choice. I had to fire him. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't in line with our policies. Again, I hope that doesn't happen. Let's be clear. I don't want to see this happen, but I would not be surprised if Benny Gantz becomes a member of the government. Remember, he is not like Yair Lapid. In terms of his comments in regard to the judicial reform, which is actually a protest movement against the government, Gans, I would say, has been parve in his statements, while Lapid has gone out and attacked the judicial reform, which is really a disguise or a guise for attacking the government. But Gans has been relatively parve, more or less. So I wouldn't be surprised if either. Ben Gvir gets fired, or if Benny Gantz joins this government, and I don't want to see that happen. I think it's it's a mistake. I think it's bad for Israel. But we've seen Prime Minister Netanyahu go down this path before, where he brings a so-called centrist or a left winger into the government to balance things out, because that's what's good. Perhaps, perhaps that's what what's good for him politically. He's done it before, Um, and even though I think we need to take a a strong line in the sand when it comes to terrorism and fighting terror and i agree with ben gvir i don't think that i don't think that the prime minister is on the ben gvir wagon right now another example and unfortunately a lot of talk of terrorism on today's show a pregnant woman's car also reported by jns a pregnant woman's car flipped over around midnight this was saturday night i believe as she sought to evade rocks a terrorist threw at her on the road between Khawara and Itar that's in the Shomron IDF arrived at the scene and rescued the woman who was sent to the hospital the attackers were not found but thank god the woman's husband reports that she was physically fine just a few bruises and thank god the baby was okay remember a pregnant woman her car flipped over you can go see pictures online The husband said, understand, this is the reality of our daily lives here in Samaria. Thousands of rocks are hurled every single hour, every day, and stories like this repeat themselves daily. So, folks, this was a miracle. This was nothing short of a miracle that this woman wasn't hurt and her baby wasn't hurt, but this is our daily reality, and it has been for many, many years. Rocks and firebombs on the roads, those... Uh, Those are our realities in Judea and Samaria. Whether it's five attacks a day, 10, 20, this is the reality. And in this case, there was a miracle. But in other cases, we didn't have these miracles. And people were killed, including little babies. So let's demand that our government create a real deterrence where this doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't have to happen. And by the way, this is not a slight against the brave idea of soldiers who are on the roads 24-7. But they can't be everywhere at once. Bottom line is the terrorists need to think twice before they throw rocks at women and children, at Jewish women and children in cars on our roads. They have to think twice. They have to think, is it really worth it for me to do this? Maybe they believe it's the right thing to do because of the hatred and incitement that they're getting from a very young age in the Palestinian Authority and in Hamas. But maybe they should think twice. Is it worth it? What will be the ramifications of my actions? And right now, the terrorists are still not asking themselves those questions. And the rocks are still being thrown on a daily basis. On that note here, Israeli forces on Saturday killed two terrorists. And this is the way it's done, folks. Involved in a shooting near the town of Avnei Hefetz in the Shomron in Samaria last week. Uh, Terrorists were killed in an exchange of fire. Um, and uh, searches were done. They found uh, IDF forces found M16 rifles, military vests, mag- gun magazines. These are terrorists, and they are no longer. Two additional suspects arrested in connection with the shooting at Avnei Chetitz or near Avnei Chefetz. So again, this is a start. You try to shoot at us, you will pay the ultimate price with your lives. But in addition. Taking care of those who carry out the attacks, settling the score, so to speak. Let's create a deterrence where attacks don't happen anymore. This uh, is also terror related. Um, a little different angle here, or a little different subject matter. Israel National News says that on Sunday, yesterday, Israel released the Jordanian member of parliament. We talked about this on the show. His name is Imad al-Adwan, who was caught smuggling weapons into the country via the Allenby crossing, as confirmed by political sources. Itamar Ben-Gvir, not happy about this as well. Minister of National Security Ben-Gvir attacked the release of this Jordanian MP, letting him go back to Jordan. Apparently, he's going to be questioned by law enforcement officials in Jordan. But Ben Gvir said the decision to release the terrorists to try to bring hundreds of weapons here that, w- that would have been used in terrorist attacks against Israelis in the heart of the country is a strategic and moral mistake. He says the issue should have been brought to the cabinet, and this right wing government is expected to stop the policy of no deterrence, whether it's in Gaza whether it's involving Jordanians, the Lebanese, any terrorists seeking to harm Israel should not be released. They should be in prison, he said. So again, this man, this member of parliament had 194 uh, glocks, I believe, pistols, 12 rifles. He had an old pile of gold and he was a weapon smuggler. That's what he was doing. He was smuggling weapons into Israel, which would have wound up and who knows how many times he succeeded in in smuggling before. It says here the report indicates he had enough guns and gold and everything else worth over six million dollars in his car. And the report indicates that in theory these officials are not supposed to be investigated, but Israeli forces got a tip that um, that this guy was shady and his car needed to be checked and they found all these weapons and money and gold and everything else in the car. So I understand here on one side, international diplomacy. I understand perhaps why the government is trying to get out of this sticky situation, but why are we so quick to do this? Why are we so quick to give this guy a hall pass? It wasn't like he brought, I don't know, marijuana into the country he brought in weapons. Sending him back sends a message that you can try to bring guns into the state of Israel for terrorist organizations and you can get away with it. Maybe a slap on the wrist. That's all. Maybe the Jordanians will give him a slap on the wrist. I would not expect any more than that from the country of Jordan, unfortunately. So again, projecting weakness, whether it's in, in on this Point here in this article or the issue of returning terrorist bodies. I don't know why we're projecting this weakness. We need to create a terror, an anti-terror deterrence once and for all. Uh, Let's move on here. Israel National News reporting, and this was reported all over the place here. The IDF civil administration yesterday on Sunday demolished a PA school built illegally within the herodian nature reserve and heritage site that's here in gush where i live southeast of jerusalem the demolition follows the ruling in an appeal filed by the regavim organization the regavim movement to demolish the structure and despite attempts by the pa with u.n support to delay the court's decision the structure was removed now On paper, this looks terrible for Israel. Israel takes down Arab school, and all you have to do is go to Twitter and see how many anti-Israel haters are out there screaming from the rooftops that Israel demolished the school. First of all, you have to understand what's really going on here. This is not about Israel wanting to take down a school. This was an illegal structure funded illegally by the European Union, built illegally on state land within a heritage site, a national heritage site, Herodian. And what, this is, what is this really about? This is all about the Fayyad plan, 2009 plan. You can go online and look it up by the former uh, president, or, or prime minister, rather, of the Palestinian Authority, Salam Fayyad. These kids are being used as pawns. They put up a, dilapid- a dilapidated school. You can look at it. It should be condemned, this building. And they put the kids in there. The Palestinian Authority puts the kids in there with the goal of taking over this area. And they do this in Area C, which is under Israeli control. That's what they do. And then people cry and cry and cry when the school is demolished. Which, again, was built illegally with illegal European Union funding. But these enlightened Europeans and these Arabs don't really care about these kids. Because if they did, they wouldn't let them sit there in these shanty schools. They would build them legal, real schools in areas that are designated to become schools. But alas, their hate for Israel is greater. They'd rather endanger the lives of these kids. The same thing, by the way, happens when they build in IDF firing zones. When the PA builds illegally in IDF firing zones and then they send out their propaganda machine along with the anarchists and go crazy that the IDF won't leave them alone. And then what happens? What happens when an IDF shell hits one of these buildings or a school or one of these dilapid- dilapidated structures falls down and these kids get killed? They'll blame Israel. They'll say, they'll say this is Israel's fault. Because Israel did not give us the ability to put up schools. We had to. We had no choice. We had to put up these schools. And that's the only opportunity we have to build. And this is the, the sham that's been going on. For over a decade now, with support from the EU, they know full well where their money's going to build these shanty towns and illegal schools and illegal structures, knowing that one day they'll come down, perhaps, and it'll make Israel look bad. And on the other hand, maybe they won't come down. You have Khan al-Amar, the illegal village just outside of uh, Kfar Adumim on Highway 1, which is still standing, even though the Israeli Supreme Court... Said it should come down. The government, not strong enough to take care of it. The the court now, the latest is the court is iffy on the issue, iffy on the matter of taking down Khan al Ah, uh, If it happens, it happens. It doesn't, it doesn't. They've become iffy on the situation, okay? Even though they'd already ruled that it's illegal and shouldn't be there, and it's a threat to those kids living there. But they don't care. The PA doesn't care. Their hate for Israel is greater and people go along with the storyline, and it's the worst, the worst possible image for Israel. When a school with children comes down, it's just giving them such a window for their propaganda. It looks terrible. Don't get me wrong. Israel must stay strong and take down these illegal structures. But it shouldn't even get to that point. It should not get to the point where these buildings are even, are even going up. And it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy matter. They show up in the middle of the night, put up these structures. They show up in the middle of Passover and Sukkot when the inspectors aren't around. But there has to be a rule of law, and the European Union needs to accept Israel's rule of law, even in area C, which is under Israeli control, and they do not. And that really is is one of the major problems here. Israel, going back to terrorism, what can you do? Israel National News reported today that we i think we we brought this up it was several weeks ago there was a botched bus bombing attack here in gush two months ago near the community of Beitar elite according to israel's Shin Bet, israel security agency this was the work this plot this bus bombing plot was directed by operatives terrorists from gaza and lebanon those affiliated with the terror group, the PFLP, PFLP terrorists try to blow up a bomb in the community or near the community or on the way to the community of the Beitar elite. This released cleared for publication, cleared the military center today. Again, this happened back on March the 9th in a joint operation of the Shin Bet, the IDF and the police, a terrorist infrastructure was exposed in the Bethlehem area. That's around here in Etzion last month the uh, cell is probably a better word was responsible for the attempted bombing attack on a bus in Beitar they would also planned to carry out additional terrorist attacks so this is released for publication six terrorists have been arrested PFLP terrorists um again who are who reside in this area in Gush i should say Uh, under PA control in Bethlehem and surrounding villages. That's where they came out of. They were arrested. Another woman was arrested for transporting the terrorists to the area on the day of the attack. Authorities are preparing to charge them with attempted murder, manufacturing of explosive materials, and being members in a terror organization, amongst other charges. So thank God that attack failed, and thank God... We now know that those responsible are behind bars and they should remain behind bars for the rest of their lives. Uh, I would recommend the death penalty, but, uh, you know, we don't do that here, really, in Israel. Turning now to Lagba Omer, the holiday. Again, when you hear this broadcast on Tuesday, it'll be Lagwa Omer, the 33rd day of the month of the Omer, rather. 33rd day of the Omer, we count from Passover to Shavuot, we count the 49 days, the seven weeks. And so why do we celebrate on the 33rd day? And I got this from Chabad.org. Rabbi Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who lived in the second century of the Common Era, was the first to publicly teach the mystical dimension of the Torah known as the Kabbalah. He's the author of the classic text of Kabbalah known as the Zohar. On the day of his passing, Rabbi Shimon instructed his disciples to mark the day as the day of my joy. The Hasidic masters explain that the final day of a righteous person's earthly life, his life on earth, marks the point in which all their deeds, teachings, and work achieve their culminating perfection. And the zenith of their, of their impact upon their upon our lives, rather upon our lives. So each Lag omer we celebrate Rabbi Shimon's life, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's life, and the revelation of the Torah which he taught. So it is a joyous event. It is marked by bonfires. We celebrate by lighting fires, the light of the Torah. Unfortunately, two years ago, as you know, here in Israel, there was a big tragedy. At the grave of Rabbi Shimon Baruchai, and 45 people were killed in a stampede. Um, so, a little sadness as well, unfortunately, here in Israel, marking two years of that horrible, horrible event where 45 perished in northern Israel on a day which was supposed to be joyous, supposed to be a celebration. Uh, like B'Omer also marks the end of a plague which raged among the disciples of Rabbi Akiva, who was a teacher of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yerchai. Sources, commentaries say because those students, and I'm talking about 24,000 who died in a plague, did not act respectfully towards each other. So the three weeks leading up to Lagba Omer are periods of mourning. And then on Lagba Omer, they stopped dying. So it became a... uh, a festival celebrating life instead of death. So that is why we celebrate Lagba Omer. It's actually a time for weddings. And we'll conclude today's show with this. Israel National News reports with the onset of Lagba Omer this week, the Tzohar Rabbinical Organization is preparing for a particularly busy season of weddings over the next several weeks. The organization's teams of volunteer rabbis and bridal educators Have no fewer than 365 weddings planned between mid-May and the end of June. And it all starts tonight. Well, when you're listening to this on Tuesday, it would have been last night. Last night on Lagba Omer, where a lot of people choose that date to get married on. Where all the mourning restrictions are lifted and we have public celebrations, including weddings. So 365 weddings. Officiated by Zohar over the next uh, month to month and a half or so. So that's some good news. We'll finish with that on another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. My name is Josh Haston. Thank you to Tabitha Epstein for everything you do behind the scenes here at the network. Ben Bresky, engineer extraordinaire. Get in touch with me during the week. Josh at com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Let me know what you think of the show. Love it, hate it. What do you want to see? What do you want to hear? Who do you want me to try to interview? All right, we had MK Dan Iluzon uh, two weeks ago. Happy to get some more interviews in. Let me know who you want to hear from. Let me know what what questions you have about what's really going on here in the state of Israel, in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and throughout the country. Wishing everyone out there a wonderful and joyous Lagba Omer. Be safe. Have a great week, everybody. Coming to you again from... Gush just south of Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Have a great week, everybody. Awake, tribe of Judah, called Zeb Jabotinsky. Nature beckons with the spring. Passover beckons the day of Exodus, liberation from our chains. I'm definitely looking for a little bit of liberation, and frankly, even a healthy dose of redemption. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Join Rav Mike Foyer for the best Jewish history podcast, The Jewish Story, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.